This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And welcome to episode 331 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? It's busy. Both of us are so busy in our real work lives. The, the, scheduling these things is getting hard, but I really think this is like the first time in a month and a half that we're doing an actual podcast episode together. Yeah. It's been one of us or the other, and we'll do intros together, but this is like the first time we've like sat down and actually talked books for a while. Um and it's good timing because it's um it's a May it's May books. It is May books. Which let's do the customary holy crap it's May. <laughs> That's wild. Uh it's about Ooh. to be May. Uh, All as, week in the office everyone's just Yeah. It's May. As InSync would say it's going to be May. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> that will never not be funny. Will, I know. Poor Justin. <laughs> Poor Justin. <laughs> with his <laughs> with his ramen noodles soup hair. Um so at the beginning of every month, we do a big old list of books that the two of us recommend that you check out because we will be checking them out as well. Um, as always, what we do is Jill and I create our list separately, and then we will come in a room together and talk about some of the ones we're most excited about. We don't tell each other about the list ahead of time, but we'll go back and forth picking a few of our favorites. And what we've started doing over the last few months is we'll give you some of them. And if you want all the books that we are excited about, go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com, where we will have the full collection there for you to take a look at. So that's uh, what's going to happen today. And if you want to get a hold of us, again, you can go to our, our website, professionalbooknerds.com, or find us at ProBookNerds on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you are most excited to uh, to read. And if you want some direct book recommendations from us or the librarians who work here at Overdrive, you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We'll be happy to do some uh some book recommendations for you. Is that all the housekeeping for? I think so. Yeah, we're done with Big Library Read and there's nothing else. Yeah. So I think we're good. Um, okay. I do want to point out that not this weekend, but uh, if you are in the Bay Area and you are going to the Bay Area Book Festival on May 4th and 5th, come see me in the Libby booth. Uh, we'll have a whole bunch of fun swag. People really love our pop sockets, so you can grab one of those from us and come say hi. Um, this is, I'm in like square in the middle of, of Adam's world tour right now. And boy, can I not be more excited for it all to be done. I'm ready to stay at home for a while. Seriously. So, okay. Um, so we can just get into the books, I guess, huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, I purposely have like a million of them, so I'll, I'll let you start. I'm sure we'll, <laughs> I'm sure we have some that overlap, but. Okay. Um, oh gosh. How, where am I going to start? I'm going to start with, um, Anna of Cleve, The Princess and the Portrait by Allison Weir. That was the this, this most, the safest bet of a Jill book on this list. So, um, for those who have somehow not been aware of this, um, I, uh, <laughs> I love me some Tudor history. <laughs> you sure do. I do. And, uh, Allison Weir is one of my favorite, uh, 
writers. She writes both historical fiction and historical nonfiction. And for the past several years, she has been writing um, novels about each of Henry VIII's six wives. And so we are now up to number four, Anne, uh, Anne of Cleves. Um, I gotta say, like, she is one of, she is a probably the one wife we don't have a lot of information about and two, the one who managed to escape with the best possible circumstances mm-hmm. out of all of the wives. Um, and I don't want to say too much if you don't know, but I'm, I, yeah. I, I think what I love about Halston Weir is because she comes with that um, nonfiction background. She wrote nonfiction uh, for decades before starting to write novels. So you know that she knows what she's talking about and always can pull from a lot of um, good resources and research is, is full on and it's good stuff. I, I just imagine you having like a whiteboard at your house where you have like a, a Tudor wives like power rankings as these come out and you're just like adjusting which... I mean, I could tell you what my power ranking is. Sure. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was hoping, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but if you've got it, by all means. Well, Anne Boleyn is my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, and then probably Anne of Cleves. And see, I really only have the first two. That's okay. <laughs> I can't believe that you haven't done one of your solo episodes where it's you talking about the Tudor wives yet. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Or just an entirely Alice and Weird dedicated episode where she's not even on the on the podcast with you. That might be a little bit much. But <laughs> I could do like all of my, I could do a Tudor episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually would fit sort of with Game of Thrones because, um, George R. R. Martin pulled a lot from the Wars of the Roses, which led to the Tudor. It's anyway, true. it's a big history thing that I will not go down the rabbit hole of. But uh, I could. <laughs> Speaking of Game of Thrones, <laughs> um, I feel like we had a DM somewhere. Someone asked if we're going to do a Game of Thrones thing. I think we're, we should wait to the end. To oh, the, yeah. To, we'll, give our, we'll do an old, a whole episode on it. We will, because I feel like we need to know what happens yeah. before we can talk about it. I don't it. want to be one of those people who puts out a theory and then have it be completely wrong and then it lives forever. Oh, I have no podcast. problem putting out theories. Oh, no, I know. But, but yeah. But I mean, like we get a lot of listeners to our podcast that, ha- that listen like weeks after. Sure. Because they're evergreen. Hey, sure. Evergreen. Uh-huh. That's our podcast channel. All right. <laughs> so we're like 10 minutes in. We talked about one book. I'll, I should fix that. Uh, my first one is The Farm by Joanne Ramos. Do you have this one? No, but I almost put it on. Yeah, okay. So this seems really, really interesting. So there is this luxury retreat nestled in the Hudson Valley in New York, and it has all these amenities, organic meals, personal fitness trainers, daily massagers, massages, and it's not only is it free, you actually get paid for being there. And the reason you get paid for being there is because you have to be a female and you stay there for nine months. You can't leave the ground because they are basically making you produce a perfect baby for someone else. So you go there, you have a baby, you stay there for nine months, you can't talk to anyone else, um, and then you give that baby away, and then you're paid lots and lots of money. Um, And the main character is determined to kind of reconnect with her life outside while she's there, but she's not allowed to leave. And so it kind of asks all these questions about motherhood and money and and all this really, really interesting things. And just sounds like a really, really kind of horrifying novel. Right? Yeah. um, Yeah, that's The Farm by Joanne Ramos. So my next one is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. Helen um, wrote The Kiss Quotient, which came out a couple years ago. I'm actually reading it right now. It's delightful. (laughs) 
And what I like about her books and um, The Bride Test is very similar. It just sort of flips the genders is that um, Helen, I'm, a couple years ago, was uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And so her main characters are also uh, have autism or somewhere on the autism spectrum, which I think is a really um, positive, like romantic comedy type of thing to put out there in the world. Um, So in this one, this is about Kai. Um, He has autism and he has a difficult time processing emotions. And he basically just like full on avoids relationships because he doesn't really know how to make them work. Um, But his mom uh, is determined to not let that happen. And so she um, goes back to Vietnam to find him a bride. And in Ho Chi Minh, she she finds Esme and Esme is brought to America and is really excited to come and meet her potential husband. And then she actually meets Kai and things don't really go as planned (laughs) Um, as they sort of try to leverage this. um, She, like, Esme is falling in love with him, but Kai is still sort of holding himself back. And um, I'm really excited because, again, they're like, they're like sort of in that, um, that Penny Reed, like, quirky, contemporary, fun characters. before you said Penny Reed, quirky, fun characters, I was going to say it sounds a lot like a mix of Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night meets Miss Saigon. But boy, I'm glad I shut up and didn't say that wow. before you said quirky and fun characters. It's quirky and fun. Because those, <laughs> those don't really... Those are not words Those are would, not quirky or fun. Yeah. No. No, that's no. That sounds really, really good. Um, my next one is The Good Immigrant. And this is a collection of essays by 26 writers who are reflecting on America. It's edited by Nikesh Shukla and Shimane Suleiman. Uh, and it literally is 26 different well-known writers who create essays all about, and they're all first or second generation uh, immigrants in America. And so they reflect on their relationship with their own heritage as well as being uh, in America in this ridiculously trying time for people who don't look basically like me, who aren't a middle-class white male. If you're not that, you get judged. Um, And so there's people like uh, Chikozie Obioma unpacks a Igbo proverb that helps him navigate his journey to America from Nigeria. Uh, Jenny Zhang analyzes cultural appropriation in 90s fashion, recalling her own pain and confusion as a teenager trying to fit in. Uh, Fatima Ashgar describes the flood of memory and emotion triggered by an encounter with an Uber driver from Kashmir. Uh, Alexander Che, Che? Alexander Chi. How do I say his last name wrong? I'm not sure. Um, He writes of a visit in Korea that changed his relationship with his heritage. So just a bunch of really powerful essays all about uh, America and, you know, what it actually looks like and what people think it looks like and and these immigrants or children of immigrants' experiences in the country. So very heavy, but also very poignant and very important. So that's the good immigrant. I have The Castle and Sunset by Sean Levy. I talked about this in the true crime episode I did. Um, it's not strictly true crime the way the other books were. but So this is a nonfiction book about the Chateau Maman, which... Uh, <laughs> yes. Perfect. Nailed that. Um, is a hotel that... Uh, like an iconic hotel that Hollywood stars have been... Um, 
going to and things happen for like uh years and decades very fancy place it's a very fancy place um so in the 1930s gene harlow took her lovers took lovers there during her third honeymoon awkward mm-hmm. um uh director nicholas ray slept with his 16 year old rebel without a cause star natalie wood also awkward um <laughs> jim morrison swung from the balconies once falling nearly to his death john belushi suffered a fatal overdose in a private bungalow there Lindsay Lohan got kicked out after racking up nearly fifty thousand dollars in charges in less than two months. Um, so there's oh, just yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, if like me, you are like totally obsessed with Daisy Jones and the Six right now. This is where Daisy Jones has her uh, her her little private bungalow is Lola La Cava. Um, so there's just something sort of I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Daisy Jones and the Six came out in April, correct? Or is it March? I don't remember. It came out recently. Jill, how many times have you read or listened to Daisy Jones and the Six? So, I... This isn't shaming. I love it. So, I'm so proud of you. Okay, now, to be fair, I it came out... No, 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 no. I have to be... I have to tell you that it came out... I think it was Qualifiers. March or April. But, no. So, you have to understand, though, because you can say, like, oh, it came out two months ago and I've read it twice. No, no, I first read it, like, two weeks ago and I've read it twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happened was I got it on ebook and I read it on ebook and then I was like, well, I'm not done yet. I don't want to leave these characters. So, then I got it on audiobook because the audiobook is phenomenal. Um, and then I bought a copy. <laughs> So I can just read it whenever. And mm-hmm. I bought my dad a copy because I'm like, Dad, you would love this book. Yeah. And I'm basically telling everyone in the entire world you have to read Daisy Jones and the Six. It is April 24th when we were recording this. I can almost guarantee that by the end of the year, this will be my favorite book of 2019. Like, I can't even imagine what book would have to come out to top this as best book of 2019 for me. I will say, based entirely on Jill's recommendation, I also, I have since borrowed it and I bought three copies as well for people. So, um, but yeah, that that was, you brought it up and I was like, I the, the world needs to know how much you read this. Um, I love it. Yeah. And we mentioned it in whatever monthly picks it was. We did. We did. Yeah. Gosh, we're so on trend. Uh, speaking of things that we love, and myself especially, so there's a book called Becoming Dr. Seuss coming out called by Brian J. Jones. Uh, long, 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 long time listeners may remember that like early, early on, I said that one of my favorite books was Brian J. Jones' biography of uh, Jim Henson. And this was... He wrote that before we had this podcast, and I, when we came up with this podcast idea, and we we're thinking about all the people we'd ever want to interview. In my mind, I always was thinking about Brian J. Jones because he did Jim Henson, and I was like, someday we'll be big enough to get to talk to someone who does things like that. Then he wrote a book about Dr. Seuss, and my heart almost stopped. It is so good. Uh, I actually, after we record this, I'm calling Brian to interview him for that book. So I'm freaking out. I'm so excited. Um, it's all about the story of how. Theodore Geisel became Dr. Seuss. So you'll hear all about it in an upcoming episode, but the world needs to know about this book. And Brian is the best biographer, I think, living right now. He also did um, the one about George Lucas, which I'm pretty sure people have have been quite aware of. And then he did, uh, his first one was Washington Irving. So picks pop culture people who are quite important. Um, That's Becoming Dr. Seuss. I'll talk more about it with Brian. But Oh my God, is it good? It's so good. And I can't wait to talk to him about the Muppets and Whoville and so many things. Sure. 
My next one is The Obsoletes by Simon Mills. So this is about fraternal twin brothers, Daryl and Kanga. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, they're just like any other teenagers, you know, just trying to make it through high school. They have to deal with peer pressure and awkwardness and family drama, um, except they're robots. And <laughs> plot twist. <laughs> they live in a Michigan town that is very robot phobic. And so they have to um, do everything they can to sort of just like keep their heads down and make sure that their neighbors don't find out the truth about them um, and just make it to graduation. Except then Conga becomes the star of the basketball team, which puts them more in the sort of spotlight. And Daryl has to work even harder to keep them out of the spotlight. Um, and it just sounds so charming. Um, and it's, you know, the description says it's heartwarming and thrilling and Mill's charming debut novel is a funny, poignant look at brotherhood, xenophobia, and the limits of one's programming. That sounds really, really good. That sounds awesome. Uh, my next one is Biloxi by Mary Miller. Uh, this feels somewhat on brand with uh, Southern Lady Code by Helen Ellis, who was just on the podcast uh, this past, this Monday, right? It was Monday. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... Mary Miller is a Southern author. In fact, she's an unapologetic Southern author, which I really enjoy. Uh, And this story takes us to Biloxi, Mississippi, which is home to the 63-year-old Lewis McDonald Jr. Uh, His wife of 37 years left him. His father passed. And basically, he spends his time sitting in his house watching TV, trying to avoid his ex-wife and his daughter. One day, he stops by a house advertising free dogs and meets an overweight mixed breed named Layla. Uh, unexpectedly, Lewis takes her and, newly invigorated, begins investigating local dog parks and buying extra bologna, minding the absurdities of life with her signature droll minimalist's eye, uh, minimalist's eye view of America. Mary Miller's Biloxi affirms her place in contemporary literature. It just sounds like a, like a fun, you know, dog and, and dog owner yeah. kind of story. So that's Biloxi by Mary Miller. I'm, I'm going to enjoy that one. I have There's Something About Sweetie by Sonia Menon. She wrote, um, of course, When Dimple Met when Dimple Met Rishi, which came out a couple years ago, and I loved. Um, she has a new, this is, I, I did not know about one. this. Yeah, she yeah. had one that came out maybe last year. Yeah. Um, and so now that we have There's Something About Sweetie. So what is interesting about this one, of course, it's, again, the um, Indian-American teenagers trying to navigate love um, and dating when that sort of cross-section of wanting to um, be an American teenager, but also having your Indian parents who maybe have separate um, ideas about where your life should go and what it should look like. Um, This one um, is really fun, and I'm very excited for it, because uh, Sweetie um, is a fat protagonist, and Mm -hmm. um, her whole thing is, like, you know, her parents... um, feel that's a failure and so she decides to kick off the sassy sweet project (laughs) which will show the world and herself what she's really made of so i i just love you know if you um like stumpling and like anything with those sort of like young adult books with female leads you don't really see very often so she is i I remember when when dimple met rishi came out like the entire Cause that was her first novel, mm-hmm, and I think just so. seeing the entire like YA social media people, all these authors immediately like take to it, and they were going to eat their Starbucks and doing like mimicking the cover. Like it was just such a cool, yeah, 
moment of seeing all those people be like, this is an author who is slightly different than you might expect, and her book is awesome, so I'm excited for this. Well, again, I think that's, you know, that demographic of young Indian American teenagers Mm -hmm. is not really something where there's a lot of books out there that feature that. Yeah, that makes me happy. Um, My next one is The Tubbin Command by Elizabeth Cobbs. So this reminds me a lot of... um, it sounds like a lot of, like Underground Railroad uh, by Colson Whitehead. It's historical fiction, and if the name of the author, Elizabeth Cobb, sounds familiar, she wrote The Hamilton Affair, which came out, I think, last year. Um, but basically, this is a book that posits what if Harriet Tubman, who is well-known for her uh, history with the Underground Railroad, but what if she was actually employed by the government and was a part of the Civil War, and so... Uh, General David Hunter places her in charge of a team of black scouts, even though he's skeptical of what one woman can accomplish. And what she has to do, she by, goes by the code name Moses, just outwit alligators, uh, overseers, slave catchers, sharpshooters, and even hostile Union soldiers in an effort to lead the biggest raid on um, a Confederate-owned uh, plantation to free all of these slaves. So it just sounds really, really good, really, you know, it's a historical fiction so it's a fictitious look at a thing that absolutely happened um i'm really excited harry tubman is awesome and i think more people should write about her um okay i'm gonna go with kingsbane by claire legrand do you have that on your i put it on too just to be safe but please i haven't read it yet so i have a book i just haven't read it yet um so for those who read Furyborn, which is a lot of you because it was new york times bestseller <laughs> and also everyone in our office I also think. everyone in our office um this is the sequel to uh fury born so fury born well, i guess the um the trilogy um is about two women um thousands of years apart who um are sort of between the two of them have the power to kind of save the world or destroy it um and i'm just i'm super excited it's just fantastic it's the first one was so good every once in a while it's funny there's at overdrive we have this running joke of upstairs downstairs downstairs is all the developers upstairs is all the like partner and reader facing teams and every once in a while on the upstairs where we work, I feel like a book kind of sweeps the whole area and like all of us talk about it for a long time. Right now, I feel like it's Daisy Jones and the Six. I feel like everyone is talking about that book here. And Furyborn was the one that happened last year when it came, two years ago when it came out. I don't, I don't remember. remember. Um, but yeah, it is so good. And it's so, there's so much you will not see coming at all. If you haven't read it yet, you have to. Claire is so awesome. And you Claire's actually, delightful. Yeah. Yes, I interviewed her for Furryborn at ALA last year, I think, year before, whenever the book came out. Um, she's a librarian as well, which is also fun. Um, yeah. She's also an incredible follow on Twitter. Like she's yeah. very open about um, like her anxiety and depression and all sorts of uh, mental things that she goes through. It's really like cathartic to read. And she's also very open about the writing process and, like, trying – she had this really incredible thread about – she works part-time now um, and the struggle of trying to be a full-time writer and and, um, this idea of, like, oh, you know, for – she's – this is not her first book. She's been writing for a long time in sort of the young adult sphere – 
Um, and so she had these books that she got this big advance and you think, oh, this is great. I can like quit my job. And then that didn't, maybe wasn't the best idea. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, she's really open and transparent about, yeah. about um, her life and being a writer. Yeah, she's awesome. Give her a follow for sure. Um, okay, let's see which other one do I want to pick here. Uh, Middle Game by Seanan McGuire. Uh, so he has won the Alex Nebula and Hugo Awards, which is wild. Um, and he, he has delivered a world of amoral alchemy, shadowy organizations, and impossible cities in this standalone fantasy. I'm going to read the description here just because I, it, I couldn't try to describe this other than the way that they do. So it says, meet Roger, skilled with words. Languages come easily to him. He's instinctive, he instinctively understands how the world works through the power of a story. Meet Dodger, his twin. Numbers are her world, her obsession, her everything, all she understands. She does through the power of math. Roger and Dodger aren't exactly human, though, and they don't realize it. Uh, they aren't exactly gods either, but not entirely, not yet. Meet Reed. He's the skilled alchemist who, uh, like his progenitor before him, works on creating things, and Roger and Dodger are actually his creations. Uh, so what he's trying to do is get them to ascend and take over authority of all around them, and then he will kind of ride their coattails and actually kind of be like a shadow ruler behind them. So no idea how this is all going to play out. I don't. It just sounds super interesting. And when I read the introduction to it, I was like, what in the world? Yeah. So I'm excited. So um, for this one, I have to sort of tell a story. Uh, I don't know about you, Adam, but when I was in college, like once a year, we'd have like a big poster company come and they would like set up. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they would like set up and you could like go and buy posters for your dorm rooms. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sophomore year, I went to the poster thing and they had this huge, like gigantic poster of Hannibal Lecter. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, I bought it. And I hung up in my dorm room, and um, my roommate was not quite sure what to make of it. Anyway, <laughs> this is my way. I am a fan of um, Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs, and Thomas Harris has a new book out. It is not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually not in the same sphere, but I had to tell that story. I feel like I've actually told that story before, but anyway. Um, so Thomas Harris has a new book out called Carrie Mora. So $25 million in cartel gold lies hidden beneath a mansion on the Miami Beach waterfront. Ruthless men have tracked it for years, and leading the pack is uh, Hans-Peter Schneider. Driven by unspeakable appetites, he makes a living fleshing out the violent fantasies of other richer men. Carrie Mora, caretaker of the house, has escaped from the violence in her native country. She stays in Miami on a wobbly, temporary protected status, subject to the iron whim of ice. She works at many jobs to survive. Beautiful and marked by war, Carrie catches the eyes of Hans Peter as he closes in on the treasure. But she has surprising skills and her will to survive has been tested before. Uh, yeah. So I'm just... It's been a long time since you had a book out. Yeah. So... All of my posters were very generic college guy. I had, like, Goodwill Hunting and Reservoir Dogs and just all the like i think my roommate wanted to get a family guy one like we were just generic college guy wow it was not great i had hannibal Lecter in the breakfast club it's amazing (laughs) i love that so much i wish i miss that breakfast club one because i think the breakfast club one was like the group of them and i think it's that quote at the end like yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah 
I also had a Boondock Saints one, which, yeah, of course. again, extremely college guy in wow. the early to that 2000s. Very on brand. Incredibly. Um, my next one is We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faisal. Uh, this is getting, like, there's so many people who are <laughs> excited about this. It's on BuzzFeed's top picks. It's on Bustles. It's on Barnes & Nobles. It's on Pastes. Um, also, our buddy uh, Marika is uh, a, a blurb on the back of it, so that's fun. Nice. Yep. Uh, set in a richly detailed world inspired by ancient Arabia, Hafsa's We Hunt the Flame, the first in the Sands of Arwaya series, is a gripping debut of discovery, conquering fear, and taking identity into your own hands. I don't want to give away too much, basically. This is one of the biggest young adult releases that's coming out this year. I'm so excited about it. Um, I am all for Middle Eastern YA. It, I think there's not enough of it, and this is a really, really good really good example of it and there's there's magic in here and there are assassins and there's just so much going on and there's a search for a lost artifact there's so much good stuff uh but we hunt the flame if you haven't seen the cover yet you should because it's gorgeous and i just think it's going to be on every list everywhere when it comes out so i have one more Okay, I have a bunch, so okay. I, we can we're we're at about a half hour okay. here, so we're good. So my last one is Orange World and Other Stories by Karen Russell. I also got to interview Karen Russell at ALA Midwinter. Um, she wrote a book a couple years ago called Swamplandia! Exclamation point, mm. which mm-hmm. is, I just love. Um, she has this really interesting world of way of sort of looking at the world and the stories um, she tells about it. Uh, the short story Orange World was in God, I think it was the New Yorker. A couple weeks ago or months ago, um, maybe a couple years ago. I don't know, whatever. The title story <laughs> is really, again, just like this really unique way of looking at the world. And she sort of has this thing of um, you just sort of believe the world she's created. It's like ours, but there's just a little shift in it, you yeah. know? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is totally believable. And so now she has an entire sort of... Um, collection of these sort of short stories there's Bog girl which is a story about um first love and a young man falls in love with a 2000 year old girl that he's extracted from a mass of peat in a northern european bog you know as, um, as one does as one does um in the the prospectors two opportunistic young women fleeing the depression strike out for new territory and find themselves fighting for their lives in this title story, Orange World, a new mother desperate to ensure her infant's safety strikes a diabolical deal, um, agreeing to breastfeed the devil in exchange for his protection. Holy hell. That's what I'm saying. But it's so good. Yeah. It is so good. Um, and so, yeah, we have an entire short story collection from Karen Russell. I'm pretty sure she told me that I was the first one she talked to about the book. That's actually happened frequently over the last couple yeah. of months. Um, and... She's just delightful in person. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that interview, uh, I think, in two weeks, we, three weeks, whatever. We, 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 before, we started, weeks. Yeah, before we started recording, we figured all this out. Yeah. But no way of remembering it now. That sounds really good. Um, okay. If you want to see those, – those are a bunch of our recommendations. But if you'd like to see some more, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. That's where we'll have the complete list, and I'm sure we'll tweet it out. And maybe one of us will write a blog about it for Overdrive. We'll see. Um of course, we have enough of those things come out in the near future. But, um, yeah, let us know what you guys think of this list, what you think 
maybe we missed. If there's some books you're really excited about, just be sure to let us know on, on the social and email and all that good stuff. So anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. All right, cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-